BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Please subscribe, if you have not already, to the SNW podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. All right, so let's go ahead and dive on into the big story of the week, and that would be the Pat McAfee conflict at ESPN. Not to belabor anything, we're not going to go into the complete detail, but on Friday's edition of the Pat McAfee show, Pat said flat out that he believed Norby Williamson mentioned him by name, believes that Norby Williamson is trying to sabotage the McAfee show by leaking negative ratings information. This is in reference to an article in the New York Post last week that said that McAfee's ratings weren't good enough to justify uh, the PR blunders like Aaron Rodgers, you know, linking Jimmy Kimmel to Jeffrey Epstein that have uh, been on the show. Uh, And uh, the interesting thing is McAfee believes that that article that uh, he says Williamson uh, was a source for he believes that article was intended to preempt ESPN's, I think it was like well over a thousand word uh, press release about McAfee's ratings the following day. So uh, this is an interesting story because it gets back to a name we've heard a million times if you follow sports media, Norby Williamson. Uh, Norby is somebody who is increasingly powerful in Bristol. He, ha- he is not a kingmaker, but he can destroy your career. And uh, he certainly uh, seems to uh, revel in the opportunity to do so. Uh, he has uh, quite a few uh, uh, notches in his belt already, Jamel Hill, uh, you know, Dan Levitard, and so on and so forth. And it seems, if you believe Pat McAfee's account, and I don't see why you wouldn't, it seems like he's going after McAfee now. Uh, but unlike Jamel and unlike Dan, uh, Pat McAfee knows that he has the leverage to be able to call Norby out on air and not only avoid any punishment at all, but host ESPN's biggest uh, personality, Stephen A. Smith, for a very long interview to start yesterday's show. Uh, no punishments, and he's as integrated into ESPN's uh, firmament as ever before. So very interesting dynamics going on there, and Drew, I'll bring you in. Yeah, yeah, a lot a lot to kind of dive into here, John. Um, for me... The interesting thing is not necessarily the McAfee Norby stuff, you know, and the palace intrigue. It's it's the fact that Aaron Rodgers was able to go on ESPN's air and and say what he said about Jimmy Kimmel and Jeffrey Epstein, right? I think a lot of this Norby stuff has kind of buried the the lead, uh, so to say. But the other interesting thing, I think more what you were getting at is 
how ESPN is kind of bent over backwards to defend McAfee after the fact, after calling out Norby Williamson. The, the fact that Burke Magnus was pictured with McAfee at Colts Texans over the weekend. Um, the fact that, as you mentioned, Stephen A. Smith goes on and, and talks long form on the Pat McAfee show this Monday. Um, it, it's really shocking to me that ESPN seems to value McAfee so highly as to allow him, even though we know Norby Williamson's long history here, right, of kind of, as you said, he has a lot of notches in his belt when it comes to talent, Keith Olbermann, Jamel Hill, et cetera, et cetera. The fact of the matter is he called out a high-ranking ESPN executive, and now there's probably two or three ESPN executives you know, higher ranking than Norby that are taking McAfee's side and maybe not publicly, they're allowing the narrative to be that, you know, Jimmy Pitaro, Burke Magnus, Bob Iger are all team McAfee. And to me, it just doesn't seem like McAfee should be so important to the ESPN brand that they need to go and defend him like that. What's important to the ESPN brand is the fact that they have live sports rights. Their studio shows, they're worthless. Like, they, they don't generate the kind of profit that is necessary to really put your neck out there for somebody like Pat McAfee. That's where I stand on this. Um, I know there's a lot of internal politicking in ESPN, and probably everyone's not a fan of Norby, even among the executive ranks. But to me, this is ridiculous. Well, you know, the question is, is anybody a fan of Norby? Uh, I did see Tim Brando uh, said something complimentary about him, also complimented uh, Pat McAfee as well. I think, you know, I don't really think this has much to do with Pat McAfee, other than the fact that he's powerful enough to be able to withstand ESPN, you know, potentially trying to punish him. I think it has a lot to do with Norby. And I don't think it's a coincidence or a surprise that the other executives are saying, hey, why are we tolerating this guy? Why are we tolerating this guy doing this yet again? I don't think anybody at ESPN realistically is upset that Dan Levitard is gone or Jamel Hill. Those are all John Skipper people. And the reality is that Jamel Hill, Levitard, Michelle Beadle, they were people who were critical of the enterprise of big-time sports in a way that did not help business. McAfee obviously poses no threat to anybody's business. He's not you know, a critical scholar, right? And I don't say that to, to call him dumb. I, when, I'm, when I say critical scholar, I'm speaking kind of a, of a specific thing. You know, those people in academia who are there to tell you about the power structures and why this is wrong and that is wrong. He's not one of those guys. The Beatle, Hill, Dan Levitard, those were those types of folks. So Norby pushing them out probably was a little irritating behind the scenes, but really not something anybody else would oppose. Norby trying that on Pat McAfee, who, you know, is bringing in presumably the young male audience that ESPN craves and can no longer attract in the way that it needs. And Norby's not going to be able to do that. Uh, Norby, I will give Norby this. He's consistent. He's not partisan. Norby feels the same way about this white man, Pat McAfee, that he did about Jamel Hill, a black woman, and Michelle Beadle, a woman. You know, like, he feels the same way. Anybody who's doing something that's even slightly coloring outside the lines, he can't stand them. Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily giving him credit for that, but, you know. Brian Curtis actually brought up a really great point on his podcast uh, on Monday 
which is how much is Norby Williamson actually the guy that he is portrayed to be? And how much is he carrying out the orders of perhaps other Disney executives that may take issue with, you know, the aforementioned talents that we've, uh, you know, that, that you've mentioned. You know, that is an interesting theory because obviously it's helpful to have a scapegoat that everybody hates. And the scapegoat will usually be insulated because he serves a very significant purpose in the enterprise, somebody for everyone to direct their anger at. But I do get the sense that Norby is probably a true believer. I mean, I get that sense. You know, I mean, there's no indication. I will say, I remember Omani Jones, who is probably one of the people you would expect Norby to loathe based on what you what you hear about him. I do remember Bomani Jones giving some kind of indication that Norby was a supporter of his. Now I don't want to misquote him. My memories, who knows? Maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe that's a false memory. But I remember Bomani giving some indication that Norby was someone who supported him at Bristol, which would point to, you know, maybe he's not quite what we hear. But all I know is it's the same thing over and over and over again. And more importantly than anything, if somebody else at Disney is pulling the strings, they miscalculated because McAfee is, you can't, it's a different uh, dynamic. This, this is where I kind of push back, John. Why is McAfee so important? I mean, the programming hours from noon to two on linear and then noon to three on digital, like they can't be that important to ESPN's bottom line. And I understand the, okay, he's bringing in the younger demographics. We can put him on game day and he makes, you know, he might make that more appealing to a young male audience. And, you know, he's doing great numbers on social. I, I get all of that, but are the people watching Pat McAfee's show on YouTube even relating him to ESPN in any way at this right. point? I mean, maybe the fact that, you know, He's talking about their executives on the air now, and you know, it's become a whole story in it of itself that has brought attention to that. But I don't really think that's a needle mover for ESPN. So once again, why why are people carrying his water in the executive ranks? For me, if I'm Bob Iger, I'm paying Jimmy Kimmel a hell of a lot more than I am Pat McAfee. Jimmy Kimmel is really one of the faces of Disney. I don't know if you can say that about Pat McAfee. So have a high-profile athlete like Aaron Rodgers go on his show and say what he said relating him to Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, to me, that's more than enough reason to go to leak something into the New York Post, which, by the way, that's a whole other thing. I don't think that actually needed to happen for the New York Post to run that story. Probably just needed to be some some person in ESPN's communications department say, hey, here are the numbers. We're going to be releasing a positive press release today, but you know, th these linear numbers aren't looking very good. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I don't think it had to be Norby to do that. Well, I would say, first of all, I mean, all those numbers are on my side every day. I mean, they are. <laughs> uh, the, so that is honestly part of it where you go, hmm. I, I don't doubt Pat. I I believe what Pat, I believe Pat is telling the truth because I've heard of Norby Williamson before. Okay, so um, I, I believe Pat is telling the truth. Um, your your point is very interesting because 
You're right. It is weird that McAfee is so insulated, but it's also because ESPN is way weaker now than it used to be. ESPN really needs, you know, something to inject those parts of the day. Now they do well with first take, but certainly, you know, the more the merrier and the more you can bring in that young male demographic, uh, that's certainly better. Uh, you know, is he bringing in the young male demographic? I don't necessarily know that his numbers so far on ESPN linear have been anything to write home about, but it's also been like three months. The, the NBC gave Conan more time on The Tonight Show, and NBC didn't give Conan a shot on The Tonight Show. So it's premature. I can see a circumstance within a year where the Pat McAfee you know, ship runs aground at ESPN. But this was a case of Norby probably feeling himself a little bit after uh, destroying a few careers and increasing his power uh, over overshot, right? He, he made a strategic error going after Pat McAfee unnecessarily this early, right? It was not necessary for him to do it already. Wait till the end of next season. He's obviously not going to get a great audience right off the bat. You have to cultivate that. So wait until October, November, midway through the next NFL season and say, well, you know, these numbers haven't improved or whatever. But you know what it is? It's because Pat came in and preempted Norby's shows. Norby had created some generic thing called This Just In, like one of the most generic names possible. I'm not even sure even more than three people ever watched this thing. And granted, probably more people were watching it than are watching Pat McAfee now. But, uh, you know, I mean, this was a nothing burger show uh, in the Norby mold. And he's probably upset that, you know, Pat came in and took away a sports center and, and a generic studio show. I mean, it, 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 it seems to me like petulance would probably explain, explain that. But as far as Kimmel goes, one, Pat didn't say anything about Jimmy. Aaron Rodgers did. Now you say, well, you keep inviting this guest onto your show. When I, when I, was, um, when I was nine years old, I was uh, doing a, a, little, uh, a little news show at, at my school. And um, the, the teacher told me, in no uncertain terms, you are not allowed to book this student. One of the classmates in the room said, you are not allowed to put this guy on the air. I couldn't find another guest, so I put him on the air. Immediately, this kid, he's probably 11 years old, and I'm quoting him directly here. He's talking about pimping. Now, don't ask me why that he's, you know, I don't know why these kids know about these things, but that's what he's talking about on the air. And I had to write a letter of apology for booking him. Uh, it was nonsense. You know, I got, I got to program this show. Okay. <laughs> um, but look, yes, you are responsible for, uh, you are responsible for who is on your show. You are responsible for that. Now, are you, I will just say this. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you in, in in a second. Aaron Rodgers is a massive public figure who people want to hear from. It's like being upset. Oh, I can't believe you booked Donald Trump. On your first ever meet the press, Christian Welker, how dare you? Well, you know, he was the president and he's running for president again and has a decent chance of winning. And I do a news show here. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interview him. Now, Aaron Rodgers is not at that level. But if you're doing a sports show and you have the opportunity to interview him every week, you take that opportunity. I absolutely 100% agree with that. Aaron Rodgers is one of the biggest figures in sports. What he says is inherently newsworthy in some ways even if he is spouting nonsense about you know vaccines or you know jeffrey epstein and what have you i mean if this were any other athlete it would also get attention my question 
is where is the line, right? Let's say hypothetically that Pat McAfee had you know Kyrie Irving on his show every week, and they they do wide ranging interviews, but you know maybe ten percent is Kyrie Irving discussing his feelings on World War Two, right? Is is that acceptable for a Disney property to start platforming that type of speech? You know, to me, I would say maybe not, right? Maybe that would cross the line. So th- there is some sort of demarcation here that I suppose Aaron Rodgers does not cross by some combination of his massive level of fame and, you know, the fact that you know, may- maybe just everyone knows what he's saying is ridiculous at this point and, you know, you aren't necessarily giving a lot of credence to what he's saying. I don't know, but, like, what? where do they draw that line? Because that would be two high-profile athletes, you know, if Kyrie were to go do that on ESPN. There's a similar argument. You know, you make a very good point uh, about, you know, what is the line? And I think it's like the Kanye line. Kanye is a big public figure, very famous, very influential, but he said enough crazy things that you couldn't book him on your show every week. If you book Kanye on your show every week, you are then doing so almost with the intention of bringing attention to his crazy uh, anti-Semitic comments. Now, the difference between Rogers and uh, Kanye and, and to a lesser extent Kyrie uh, is that Aaron Rodgers isn't saying anything nearly as objectionable. Yes, obviously, you know, it's extremely irresponsible and potentially dangerous for Jimmy Kimmel, for Aaron Rodgers to link him to this, uh, this, this horrific person. But you know, and it's low class. You like nobody should be out there hoping someone they don't like is on the Epstein list. You should be hoping that nobody is on the Epstein list and that somehow none of this stuff ever happened, right? Uh, so it, it's very low class to be to be rooting for someone to be on that list. Uh, but Aaron, you know, if Aaron starts showing up every Tuesday and lobbing what would be slanderous claims about people if they weren't public figures, obviously we know. Kimmel has no shot in a lawsuit against Rogers for that reason. But if 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 Aaron Rodgers is coming on every week and lobbing slanderous accusations, making all of these, you know, conspiratorial comments, then yeah, we can rethink that. But to me, all Aaron has done is this. And he also mocked Travis Kelsey for being in the Pfizer ads, which you don't have to agree with it, but that's not objectionable. It's it's not an objectionable thing to do. Um, I know he has, has he ever gone on, did, did he ever go on the show and say that vaccines weren't safe? I know he doesn't believe they are, but has he said, has he encouraged people not to use them? I, I don't know. And I, I think even that, like, it would, would not cross the line because, you know, there's certainly, you know, I'm not one to you know, be an expert on this subject. Neither are you, I'm sure. But, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, plenty of rigorous scholarly debate over that very subject um far above our our pay grades but here, here's the other angle john espn disney they allow rogers to come on every tuesday and and say these controversial things and it's objective i'm sure that he brings viewership to the network right so even if he's attacking fellow disney employees or at least you know suggesting unsavory things about them on their airwaves disney is actually getting some sort of tangible benefit from it how much do they put up with 
is is the question um how many more bad headlines how many more pickles does espn and disney need to be put in before they start you know kind of tightening the screws on the pat mcafee show maybe putting a, a few more restrictions on the on the content that is allowed to be discussed on the pat mcafee show because as you said, we're still very early, early days on this. He's been on the air for three months at ESPN. I think of these three months, there's been one pretty salacious headline every single month. Like, if it, if it keeps up at this rate, like, I don't know how much patience ESPN's going to have with this. Well, ESPN doesn't have really many standards anymore, right? This mm -hmm. is all of this teaming up with McAfee was a desperation move. ESPN bet is a desperation move. You know, the numbers aren't so bad yet that anyone needs to be panicked, but the trajectory is pretty bad. So the smart thing to do when you see the trajectory is bad is you start trying to prepare and create circumstances to forestall whatever outcome. So that's what this is about. And that's why McAfee is valuable because he's part of an overarching strategy of as you're streaking to the earth, you're trying to grab a bird, right? That's basically what it is. And for ESPN, you know, I mean, maybe McAfee doesn't have any value yet, but it's a bet. They're, they're placing a bet here that they can create something that will cultivate a young male audience that will continue to tune in down the line. One more thing, and then I think we can probably move on. ESPN signed, I believe it was a five-year deal with McAfee for his show. This is just to, to license his show, right? So ESPN does not even own the IP for, for the Pat McAfee show. McAfee could be out of there in as few as five years, maybe even fewer, because he's never finished a deal in his life. The other thing is Stephen A. Smith has a contract that is coming up in the next few years i can't remember exactly when but i think he's uh, 2025 I, I yeah i think it's the middle of 2025 espn without stephen a smith and pat mcafee what are they for six hours a day right like they, they're they're putting all their eggs in these baskets and you know they're creating these big stars well at least in the case of stephen a they've created a big star mcafee they're licensing a big star but these are not permanent solutions for ESPN. These these talents have no loyalty to the ESPN brand. And I know it's already been speculated that Stephen A could be off doing his own thing once his contract expires. I mean, it's it's not a coincidence that he is starting his own podcast outside of ESPN two years, a year and a half before his contract expires. So ESPN is kind of in a bit of an existential situation when it comes to its daytime programming. It once again, to me, it goes back to the fact that why are they even trying? They could get a baseline level of viewership to do very cheap, mundane, boring, this just in type mm -hmm. programming. And they wouldn't have any of this controversy and it would still be fine. They'd be declining, but it would be fine. They'd be able to milk the rest of the, you know, linear cable bundle, whatever, right? To invest so heavily in, in this type of programming to me just, just seems really short-sighted, seems like a mistake. And um, I think 
two or three years from now, ESPN could be caught holding the bag for it. Well, they probably will either way, because, you know, let's get back to the Norby aspect of this, which is more interesting to me than the Pat McAfee aspect, right? The reality is, if you are in any way someone who colors outside the lines, why would you want to work for a Disney company anyway, <laughs> right? I mean, this is Disney we're talking about. We're not necessarily talking about a company that has a great record of, you know, interesting stuff, right? And the reality is that uh, McAfee made a mistake going to ESPN. Now, he's not, you know, he's not an idiot. He wanted to grow his brand, but it was it was totally unnecessary for him to move his show to ESPN. It's been nothing but headaches. I, I couldn't understand why he did it at the time, and I don't understand now. I understand why ESPN did it, because they're desperate. McAfee's not desperate. And I, I don't think people like Pat McAfee are going to be going to ESPN. Because, I mean, to be, a, to be in a position where you have built whatever you may think of Pat McAfee, he has created out of nothing. How many punters from 15 years ago do you know of, right? He has created out of nothing his own media enterprise. And to have that threatened by the likes of Norby Williamson, <laughs> all right, is absurd. You know, uh, I certainly don't have an enterprise or anything in terms of anything close to what Pat McAfee has done, but I've created my own website, my own media outlet that I use. If I was in a position where suddenly it was like, well, Norby Williamson doesn't like what you do, what that'd be crazy. What do I care what Norby does or doesn't like? So the idea that you're going to have people who are creating their own brands decide to subject themselves to ESPN executives, that's absurd. Frankly, Stephen A is, you know, Stephen A is uh, old school. I don't want to say old, but he's old school. He is from a completely different era and a completely different generation. This is the man who worked for a print outlet. He's, he's a print newspaper reporter, right? He is from the, he is closer to Tony Kornheiser than he is to Pat McAfee. That's why Stephen A. hasn't left yet, because he still buys the idea that working for ESPN matters. He's slowly becoming more aware that, wait a second, no, it doesn't. Uh, but it's going to be slower for people who are older and remember when ESPN carried a certain, you know, legitimacy. It's going to be, it's going to take them a little bit longer to come to the realization that they can just do it on their own. But Stephen A. will eventually do that, I think. Uh, because, yeah. you know, again, the freedom, the freedom. And, you know, uh, the ability to, to determine what you're going to do, who you're going to work with, the ability to determine who your guests are going to be and what your topics are going to be with full freedom. Because you don't have full freedom. Even Stephen A. doesn't have full freedom. And, you know, the only reason Stephen A. hasn't given them any trouble is, and I've been very critical of Stephen A. in the past. I'm not really a fan. Uh, but I will say Stephen A. is a company man, and I don't mean that as an insult. He, you know, he's not rebellious at all, has never once created a circumstance where, you know, he was feuding with his bosses. He's been the model. He's been like Tim Duncan. He's been like the model employee. The only reason the Spurs won anything is because Tim Duncan let Popovich yell at him. And ESPN has been successful because Stephen A. Smith lets ESPN run his show. And there's been maybe one or two conflicts over the years. But, you know, that generation, that era, that's running out. And the people who are coming in aren't going to respect executives. They're not going to respect tradition. They sure as heck aren't going to respect the Norbies of the world. So I don't know what ESPN, as you said, 
what their recourse is going to be going forward. All right, John, uh, let's put a bow on that. Obviously, that has you know, dominated the news cycle in sports media this past week. Um, perhaps we'll get some more trickles out of that story um, in the future. But for now, let's move on to the NFL, who just finished up their regular season this week, um, which means we have you know season-long viewership data for the networks. Uh, top line, how did the NFL do this year? Did any network make out better than the others? Uh, what, what are your takeaways here, John? Well, I mean, no surprises here. We've known this was going to be the case for weeks, but uh, a lot of highs, a great year for the NFL. Uh, every year is a great year for the NFL, especially since out-of-home viewing began uh, to be included in the Nielsen numbers. Um, Monday Night Football, most watched season since the year 2000. Uh, so that surpasses the last few years of ABC's Monday Night Football, uh, you know, uh, which sounds more impressive. I mean, it is very impressive. It sounds more impressive than it is because Monday Night Football toured the end of the ABC era. There's a reason why ABC relinquished the rights. The numbers were starting to fade down the stretch. But uh, still, uh, you know, uh, most watched since 2000. CBS uh, was uh, the most watched since it got the rights back in 1998. Uh, and uh, CBS had its, uh, uh, actually had the highest average. Now, this was a, this was a battle that was going down the stretch of the season. Who's going to finish as the most watched of the late doubleheader window, CBS or Fox? Well, CBS did take top honors there. At least that's what they say. I don't know if Fox has any different data. You know how it works sometimes. But CBS says that they had the most watched national window. Uh, uh, so good for them. First time since 2007. Uh, haven't seen anything yet from Fox or NBC, but this will be the most watched season since 2015. Uh, the NFL is in great position. This is a league that I didn't even know this was a possibility that they could get Packers Cowboys in the, in the wild card round. And they somehow get Packers Cowboys in the wild card round. I mean, everything comes up roses for the NFL and the other leagues, uh, not so much. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk about those playoff matchups actually, because I, I found it interesting, uh, kind of where some of them got, um, slotted into. So I think headline, we have the Chiefs and the Dolphins, 8 p.m. Saturday night. That is the Peacock exclusive. So the NFL is putting Patrick Mahomes behind the paywall. You will not be able to see Patrick Mahomes in the wild card round unless you have a Peacock subscription. The other thing that stood out to me with the schedule was ESPN's Monday night game. Arguably, I think this is the weakest game of the slate with Tampa Bay and Philadelphia. Last year, ESPN was handed a gem with the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers against the Cowboys for their Monday Night Wild Card. So a bit of a downgrade for ESPN this year, although I don't think they can complain too much given their Monday Night schedule. Did anything stand out to you on the network side with which games were assigned to which networks? Well, obviously, Peacock getting Dolphins uh, Chiefs, that's... Uh pretty uh interesting i don't remember where i read it i think it might have been i have no idea where i read it honestly but so, there was uh, something i read where the person was saying that the chiefs game was penciled in to peacock to begin with like the intention was always to put a really high profile game there uh which i guess i understand it 
you know, I mean, this is like when ESPN2 aired Duke, North Carolina that one year, right? When it was just starting out, you know, I mean, you want people to sign up and the NFL knows that it can get 30 to 40 million viewers or pretty much anything. And, you know, in the out of home era, you really can take, if you're the NFL, you can take things for granted. You can take your viewers for granted because you know, you could put anything out there and get a massive audience, right? So why not, you know, why not put this game on Peacock? help Peacock uh, take off, and then you can get even more money for that uh, playoff game down the line. I think it might have been, I think it might have been the Sports Business Journal where I read this. I'm not sure. I, 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 would, I would cite if I, if I could remember. But this same article also noted that uh, the NFL has withheld one playoff game, one wildcard game each year to, uh, to sell. Yes. Uh, and yeah. that's a brilliant idea obviously you know theoretically anybody could hear it turner sports could decide hey you know what let's get an nfl playoff game you know i mean it, it's a great idea and ultimately you're going to see maybe it'll be paramount plus next you know maybe it'll be uh you know uh, max right i mean who knows i believe peacock or nbc i should say paid was it a hundred million dollars just for this one game which I remember at the time there's you know reporting on both sides of this, but I think most people came down saying this is actually a bargain for NBC at a hundred million dollars. The amount of subscriptions they'll generate, ads they can sell. Um, this is seemingly a favor done by the NFL um, to NBC. The idea of it being a bargain is interesting to me. A hundred million dollars for one NFL game once. Versus 115 million for all of the college uh, championships. If I'm Peacock and I spend 115 million for all those college championships, that's a much better use of money because you're getting for the entire course of the year, right? And you're getting people who are desperate because this is the only place that they can watch these games. Like you could theoretically miss one NFL playoff game, you're getting the other five, right? But if you had on Peacock the entire women's NCAA tournament and all of the gymnastics and all the volleyball, I mean, that to me would be a much more significant driver. So as, as most websites uh, can, you know, I mean, obviously I have affiliate deals with many of these streaming services. I can tell you the college, the, the, the college tournaments drive subscriptions. People need to watch those games. They're bigger fans because these are smaller sports. If you're sitting down in your home and you've ever watched an Illinois State Redbirds gymnastics meet, you are addicted to that sport, right? If you've ever watched Cal Poly play water polo, you're addicted to that sport. And so you have a much bigger need to get the subscription. And more importantly with this NFL thing, if you're in Miami or Kansas City, and that's where the most ardent fans of these teams are, you just watch it on NBC. So I, I don't think it's a bargain. Um, I, I don't blame them for spending that money, but if you can get, if, if that NCAA deal was available for $115 million, that's a much better use of money in my view. Plus, it's an interest. Let, me just, let yeah. me just add this. Go for it. The churn. This is one game. You pay for one month. You cancel. This is not cable. You don't have contracts. You don't have to return the equipment at the end. There's no hassle to canceling. So when you get the tournaments, that certainly for the women's tournament, that's well, that's still a month actually. 
And most people really aren't going to be watching, hey, I need the women's basketball and the volleyball. And, you know, but still, I think from a churn perspective, it would still be a better deal. Right, right. And, you know, I'm I'm right on board with that. Knowing that last month when Bill's Chargers was the exclusive Peacock game, I could buy Peacock that night and also get it for the wild card round game. And then also knowing as a Maryland basketball fan, they would be playing, you know, number two Purdue during that time. And as a golf fan, I would get a couple golf tournaments on Peacock. I said, all right, well, $5.99 for one month. That's a pretty good deal if I'm going to watch all of that. But I tell you what, John, I've already canceled it because I know at, at the end of the month, there's not going to be that much that I want to see anyway. So yeah. it's like they got $5.99 out of me and I'm getting, what, six events that I want to watch. I mean, that, to me, it seems like a pretty good deal. But I mean, they're not keeping me around for 12 months. Well, it is an interesting thing because this is all pay-per-view. This is an NFL game on pay-per-view, but it's like $5. A, a real NFL playoff game for pay-per-view would cost a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, it's an interesting thing because the business model doesn't make a lot of sense. Who, you know, where is that cost being passed to? You know, where is that cost going? Right. I mean, okay. In exchange for, uh, you know, providing this game at a small fee, we get the subscriber for a month and then they cancel and maybe they don't forget to cancel, but even if they don't forget to cancel, it's still another $5 because it's really cheap. Now, I don't want the price to increase. Don't get me wrong. I don't want the price to increase, but it's really, really cheap. I don't get how this is supposed to work. And, you know, this is another thing where we talk about the future and what's going to be happening in this industry. I mean, how are these streaming services supposed to survive? Yeah. Anything else to wrap up the NFL before we touch on our last topic? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's the NFL. The NFL does well. People watch it. Alrighty then. In that case, let's move on to our final topic, which is the college football playoff. Uh, ESPN is reportedly negotiating to extend an exclusive deal with the college football playoff. This would be a six-year media rights extension, uh, and it would keep the entire playoff on ESPN. There were also reports that Fox could be interested in sub-licensing some of these playoff games from ESPN and that the college football playoff may allow that. That's still seemingly uh, up in the air. Details that will come out if a deal is actually signed. So, John, um, top-line takeaways from ESPN seemingly keeping the entirety of the college football playoff. Well... I mean, it's a surprise, but it also kind of points to the marketplace right now. I don't think the market is set up for exciting new deals. I think uh, right now it's just about staying the course, getting as much as you can, and uh, moving on for the next deal. For the CFP, we are just talking about, let's see, right now in the four-team era, it was what? uh, Let's see. How many games? Well, the New Year's six in the title game, so seven games. Um, now it's going to be, how many games is it going to be, do you think? Uh, four quarterfinals. So it's just adding four quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. No, that's not true. Um, you're adding the first round too. So it's eight additional games. Yes, yes. Okay, so you're going from seven games to 15 games. 15 games in December and January for $1.3 billion a year. That's actually pretty massive, honestly. 
that's a lot of money for that inventory, especially since these are going to be games that aren't even the most watched games of the given week because of the NFL. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was looking at some of the dates for these games in the next couple of years. These will be played the week leading up to Christmas. So like December 20th, 21st in that area. That is not a time where college football fans are used to having big marquee matchups. That's, you know, when the Beefo Brady's Bowl is being played, usually that's, you know, going to be your Conference USA versus Sunbelt matchup, um, which, you know, if you're a college football fan, yeah, you may love those. That, that may, you know, satiate your, your desire to watch college football on those days. But for most people, um, that's a time where they're focusing on the NFL primarily. So, this is going to be new real estate that the college football playoff is, is going to have to stake their claim in. I don't think it's as sure a thing to generate large viewership as, uh, as some might. I do think what they have going for them is the schools hosting the games. That'll add to the environment, that, that it'll add some intrigue. But what's yet to be seen is if these matchups are actually going to be competitive in the, in the first round because... I think this year was relatively deep when it came to college football, but I think most years people would agree with me that there's really only two or three real contenders. Um, So a 12 team playoff might, might make for some pretty uncompetitive games. Well, I mean, you get Liberty in there against Oregon. That was an awful game. Did not do well in the ratings, right? If you make it a playoff quarterfinal, it's still probably going to be an awful game that doesn't do well in the ratings. Um, College football is just a weird sport. Regular season is a massive, massive draw. $19 million for Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, but the playoffs, the, the postseason always feels like an anticlimax. It never feels as big. Even last night's game didn't feel big, really. You know, um, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, they honestly could go back to the way it was even before the BCS, right? And just have the bowls as they were. And maybe you can have a, a championship game of the teams that are ranked number one and number two after the bowls are complete, you know. But college football is the regular season and New Year's Day. And everything else is kind of, yeah. So to me, uh, $1.3 billion is a crazy amount of money, and I get that nobody else would offer that. You know, front office sports reported the other day that Fox is going to offer a massive bid. And obviously, I, that does not seem to be true. Um, maybe it'll end up being true. I don't know, but that does not seem to to have been true. In fact, the ESPN report about this deal indicated that Fox might be interested in sub-licensing some of the games. So it might be the case that ESPN, to help subsidize the insane cost of this deal, ends up giving up some of that exclusivity uh, willingly. I don't really understand why it would be done that way. Maybe there's tax considerations. I don't know. Yeah, that that really didn't make much sense to me either, because it's like if you're Fox, what value are you getting from that? Unless you're getting this at a pretty substantial bargain, which wouldn't make sense for ESPN, of course. Uh, I mean, not to cut you off, but maybe from the standpoint of ESPN wants to ensure that it gets the best games every year. So if Fox gets a deal for its own part of the, the CFP, they're going to be potentially getting the national title game every other year or whatever. This allows ESPN to control its ability to have the best games while also defraying some of that cost. And maybe Fox gets, you know, the lesser window 
of the the quarterfinals and semis and first round or something. That that's a great point because everything I read about these negotiations were that people wanted a piece or these networks wanted a piece of the national title game and ESPN was unwilling to part ways with having the national title every year. That really drives the value proposition down for every other network. So if you're ESPN, you might be willing to overpay a little bit to say we get to have the national title every year. And then Fox gets a discount on some of the, the lesser games that that could make sense. And I, I, I think um, that's probably where the logic is uh, on on the ESPN side. I'll be very interested to see if ABC is involved, because for one point three billion, you're paying that much money. Then you have to keep them on ESPN. The college football playoff national title game annually is the most watched show on ESPN. For that reason, it is way more valuable to the company than the NBA Finals, which airs on ABC. We know ESPN really does not care about ABC. So, you know, you have to keep that. And if paying $1.3 billion to keep the CFP on cable prevents you from having the NBA Finals every year, that's a worthwhile trade to make because, again, the NBA Finals isn't on ESPN, it's on ABC. But if the national title game is on ABC, right, that to me would make the deal a little bit less, or even just the semis, the national title game. You know, ESPN needs to have those games for itself. New Year's Day this year was, what, the fourth most watched day in ESPN history? They're not getting numbers like that for anything else. Uh, Certainly not for Monday Night Football this season, which was the most watched since 2000, but they shared it with ABC. So it didn't really do all that much for ESPN itself. And, uh, you know, ESPN is in it for itself, as yeah. any company would be, as any company would be. Great points, John. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, I'll give you one little quick hitter uh, on the way out. Give us a prediction for Chiefs, Dolphins, Peacock viewership um, this upcoming Saturday. Um, 16, 17 million, which is massive for Peacock, but obviously way below what that game would otherwise average. I'd be shocked if it got to 20 million. I mean, that's a lot for Peacock. I mean, obviously, 16, 17 million viewers is going to be an all-time milestone for streaming. I mean, that's going to be one of the biggest events in the history of streaming. But, you know, Chiefs-Dolphins, this is going to be the second time they played this season. First on NFL Network at 9.30 in the morning, now on Peacock. This is the matchup that could anchor a 425 window, regular season or playoffs, and get 25, 26, 27 million in the regular season. 35, 36, 37 million in the playoffs, but probably 17 or 18 million, you know, and it'll be the least watched playoff game in a long, long time in the NFL. That that still seems like a massive number for streaming, but um, you're right that it probably could get 20 more million if, uh, right. if it were the on. The NFL is costing itself upwards of 20 million viewers. I mean, even just having it on a, on a Saturday night, that's a Sunday level matchup. Yeah. Uh, so the NFL is costing itself quite a bit uh, of viewers, and that's going to be the way it's going to be. The NFL has never had the sacrifice uh, reach for revenue. They've never had to do it, but they seem to be willing to do it because there's money in it. Um, and this is how the other leagues have been able to to make so much money is because they sacrifice uh, reach for revenue. The NFL can make even more money than it's already made doing that, and not necessarily in a in a way that hurts the league because we're talking about one game. Yeah, there are going to be fans who are upset, but it's one game. It's really not that big of a deal. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, John Oran predicted that Peacock will get another playoff game next year and Amazon will get one. 
Uh, I, I think you'll see a lot more. Yeah, I'll put it this way. 50 million viewers is amazing. You know, what a great number. But you don't make money off of that. The networks do. You make money selling the game to the networks, right? If you can make more money with an audience of 13 million viewers than you can with an audience of 30 million, then you're going to put the game on in front of 13 million. It's a short-sighted, long-term strategy because the more you do that, the smaller your audience is going to be as time goes on because people are not watching it. But hey, as a short-term strategy for generating big money, it's pretty good. Yeah, and let's remember, this isn't even really like having one fewer game on broadcast because what, three years ago, two years ago, the NFL added two playoff games yeah. to its mix. So this is kind of just the icing on top of the cake where you know they can just put this extra inventory on streaming and you know get a hundred million dollars from NBC because why not? All right, John, uh, why don't you close this out? All right, well, that does it for this week. We'll see you back here next week. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.